Hello, and welcome to CAA Conversations. I'm here today with Elliot King and Abigail Susset. Elliot King is an assistant professor of art history at Washington and Lee University, where he teaches modern and contemporary American and European art. His research focuses on Salvador Dali's work after the Second World War. Abigail Sussex is an Associate Professor of Art History at Willamette University in Oregon, where she teaches modern and contemporary art history in Europe and America. She has a radio show called Studio Visit on KFFP-LP 90.3 FM, Freeform Portland, and local artists join her in the station for every episode. And today they're going to be talking about teaching surrealism. So without further ado, I'm going to hand the conversation over to them. Thanks so much, Ellen, for the invitation today. Yeah, thank you. Well, why don't we get started just by sharing a little bit about what we actually teach. Elliot, what, what are your surrealism classes? Do you have a whole class devoted to surrealism or multiple classes? So I teach a surrealism seminar uh, at uh, Washington. I taught it at a handful of small liberal arts colleges. And it usually has here about 25 students or so. I've taught it a couple different ways. I've, I've taught it as a surrealism seminar, and then I've also taught it as a Salvador Dali seminar, uh, which has obviously some overlap. But uh, when I teach it more as a surrealism seminar, I, I tend to actually try to bring Dali a little bit out of it as much as I can, because that tends to be the surrealist artist that most of the students know. And so I'm trying to consciously tell them about other, other works and other artists. Um, and then it does appear in other classes in my you know, obviously in the survey course in 20th century European art. So it, it has manifestations wherever I can stick it, but I, I try to uh, really focus surrealism onto one dedicated seminar. That's great. You know, um, at Willamette University in Oregon, I actually don't have a class that's fully dedicated to surrealism. And in preparation for our discussion today, I, I thought, well, I, I realize it's a desire of mine to have a whole semester seminar on surrealism. But right now, the class that's most focused on surrealism is a Dada and Surrealism seminar that has about 15 undergraduates. Um, it's a, an upper level writing centered seminar. And so we spend only half of the term on surrealism. So it's really great that you have a full term course. I think that's more appropriate to the movement. And um, I'm sure I could do that if I wanted to, but I have some other ideas about um, moving in slightly different directions with a devoted surrealism course in the future, well, most immediately in the future, I'm hoping to teach a Latin American surrealism mm -hmm. class with a country, you know, a focus on um, countries uh, and national orientations and, and diaspora um, rather than a timeline per se. So, so in your surrealism seminar, do you, is it, um, is it temporal? Do you go from the teens to the sixties or? Yes, I, I go. It, it, it's a uh, it's chronological. So it, it's um, it's we start out with just a little bit of data. So I, I, I only do a day on data. And so it's interesting that uh, that you've put them together. I mean, that's actually I don't think a lot of people outside of our field would appreciate that it's actually a current topic of whether or not data and surrealism should be necessarily yoked together since Paris data obviously comes out and, and turns into surrealism in the early 1920s. Uh, but uh, you know, to have those things necessarily together, I took the view that it was sort of nice to tell that story quickly and then get into surrealism so I had more time to bring it out. Because one of the really important narratives for me is that it continues on very lively into the 50s, 60s, 70s. And I end up showing them a few uh, in films by Jan Svankmeyer, for example, just to really reinforce that there's still a contemporary surrealist movement out there 
and uh, and what surrealism is like today. Just it, it, that's one of the reasons I think for me surrealism is a really interesting and different course from a lot of the other things I teach in that it's often perceived as being an historical movement when in fact it's not it's not over and it's not just an art movement, which again is something that I think a lot of people are surprised by when they come in, into the class. I agree, I agree. That was um, definitely something that I am, you know, as you know, interested in my scholarship. And it's it's difficult to get that to come out in teaching, especially if you're in a smaller department for instance, I teach everything from 1750 to the present in uh, in, in Western art history. So it, you have to make these kinds of choices, and um, you know sometimes with curriculum restrictions. But um, your focus, I think, is really excellent because what, both the benefit and the challenge, or the let's say maybe the advantage and the challenge of teaching surrealism for undergraduates, which I think is what we're focusing on, is that when they come in really with an excitement about it and a, and a feeling of some connection or knowledge about it to some degree, often, as you said, limited to maybe one or two artists. And then there's so much that can be unpacked and shown in terms of the span of the movement, as well as the theoretical depth and political radicalism, which is often, I find, uh, very, very new for the students in terms of an understanding of surrealism. Um, so that you have that room to spread out is really wonderful, and I, I makes me very much want to do it in a future course myself. Something um, I don't know, just in terms of how we we teach surrealism. Um, so one of the things that that I tend to do is I tend to do a lot of uh, projects, and and we do surrealist games. We I, I do questions of the day where you you ask. Uh, different questions about chocolate cake. You know, what is what is the profession of chocolate cake? What is a diurnal or nocturnal? Different questions, mostly from um, a little book of surrealist games that, that I purchased. And so uh, the students really love those. In fact, on student evaluations, I always they always say they wish we had more games um, of doing uh, those sorts of things, exquisite corpses. Um, and for me, that's important for them to kind of get into you know, sort of what the surrealists were actually doing and then also begin sort of taking on some of it more personally. Um, and I asked them to keep, to keep dream journals throughout the semester. Um, and this is all in sort of a way of showing them again that it's not just an art movement, that it's something wider than that. And, and I've had really good feedback, certainly from the students on that capacity. One of the interesting questions I got, though, I remember uh, from an evaluation was they wondered how we were learning about surrealism. Are we learning, are we learning to look at it Objectively, are we learning to be surrealists? Are we becoming surrealists? Um, That's a great and, question. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and basically, what is the goal of doing some of these things? And I, I just wondered if you do any sorts of activities on par with that. And, and in a way, what do you think are our goals when we're trying to show people that this is a movement that just isn't about art? Yeah, that's a very wonderful question, and I, I think you and I probably share a lot of the same activities. The um, essential is the cadavre exquis, which I use in my introductory lectures, my intro course, which spans from 1750 to 1970. So we have a day for surrealism, mm -hmm. um, and and so that's just, I mean, they just get a taste of it, um, and, and yet we spend 20 minutes on a class drawing of a cadavre, a exquisite corpse, where we, you know, the whole, I have 30 students, we pass the, the drawing around continually. And um, it, it, it is truly, most of the students don't know about it, it's truly revealing for them. Um, in the modern survey where I have about a week for surrealism, uh, so that's a class of 30 students, a lecture class from 1945, I'm sorry, to, from 1895 to 1945, um, we actually stage, um, we, we do actually a persona type 
activations of Dadaists and Surrealists. We have a debate between Dada and Surrealism, and we have a debate between Surreal, or I should say, quote-unquote Dadaists and Surrealists, and a debate between Surrealists and Futurists that gets pretty heated and, and very interesting. It often involves costumes. I think last year, the person who came dressed as F.T. Marinetti, the futurist leader, um, did a futurist rap with a boombox and um, <laughs> the, the surrealists do all sorts of things. Um, and so they, uh, I, I tend to ask the students in a way to, um, in that case, to play out their perceptions of what's important and what's not. And then when I get to the, where I have more time, in the Dada Surrealist Seminar, where I have a whole term, really. Um, actually, um, I was trying to think of activities that would differentiate from yours so we could be most helpful in this discussion in terms of spreading ideas. Um, but one of the things that I do that's that's perhaps, um, I don't know if you do it, Elliot, in your classes, uh, we use their cell phones. Most of my students have cell phones, and if they don't, they just share in an activity to do a number of exercises um, that would create quote-unquote, automatist poetry or surrealist hmm. poetry. I can expand further if you like. Um, and also for in a photographic or filmic capacity um, that create sort of instant shared results. Um, uh, so connecting contemporary technology with, you know, aesthetics and technology of the early 20th century. And then um, uh, another thing that I do uh, for that class that's not so much an activity is that I am starting to do a lot of Skype guest lectures where we just do voice Skype. Um, we bring in a scholar. Uh, I had a, an amazing curator uh, from Texas Skype in and also had a poet Skype in um, in, my, in my most recent class to, to lead an entire class on, you know, they discuss with the students on things. And so that's also kind of surrealist in, in essence, because it's a disembodied voice. And um, it's working very, it's, it's working very well, actually, um, using technology. Uh, I think it helps them connect on another that, that, again, this kind of question of what's the meaning of this. So to go back to your deeper question, I, I allow that boundary to flow with, particularly with teaching surrealism. I think in my own scholarship, the question of the, the point of it, is it a philosophy or, or is it a history, uh, is, is a fluid one. And um, so I, I haven't articulated that for them. But I do believe that right now in 2017 you know, that um, making these kind of conscious connections for their lived lives, how they want to pursue their life, philosophic, ontological, ethical questions are very important for almost any uh, liberal arts college class. But really in surrealism, it, you can do so much with those profound questions because of it spans the entire 20th century, essentially. So I guess I would throw that back at you if you don't mind. Um, I mean, what what has come out for you as as a professor as a as the pedagogue um, in terms of you know teaching it versus writing about it? What what have you changed in your teaching approaches? Well, um, no, no, thank you for that. I, I, I'd love to also just well before I answer that, I guess could, could you just say a little bit more about what you do with the telephones? I mean, in terms of sure. automatic uh, poetry. Yeah, and I realize this is a, a probably. Um, a new technique that I, I don't know how many professors are doing it, or if not, I've haven't um, you know written a post about it or anything. But um, you know, 
it makes the assumption that a student would have a piece of technology on them, which it certainly you would never want to be exclusive. Um, so usually I just would start off if this was, um, I typically only would do it in seminars where there are just 15 students, but say, okay, you know, who has a, a cell phone with them today? And, you know, um, and we find out what functionality they have. And then um, there are, I guess I could say many, many exercises you could do. But one thing that we do is we have the students engage with um, uh, voice commands on the phone, such as voice texts, um, to create very absurd poetry. So the, the, the bad kind of audio system or the way that you can use an audio system on a, on a cell phone um, in terms of uh, incorrectly creates an, a really remarkable kind of uh, uh, text on its own. Um, so playing with text functions on the phone and then um, playing with the camera function on a, on a cell phone can have a number of different capacities, but um, usually we, we, um, we would do something that would be basically a kind of chance photography where they don't so much control what they're taking pictures of. That's one example of a precise way to do perhaps a surrealist game with a cell phone camera. Um, and um, those activities are great. I also do other types of more, um, you know, uh, I guess you could say um, analog uh, surrealist exercises, such as go, you know, take a piece of paper, take a crayon, uh, everybody go out in the hallway for 10 minutes and make a frottage, which would, is a surrealist technique for using textures to make a drawing. Um, we do a lot of collage and montage, which the students really enjoy. Um, and lately, Elliot, I've really been getting a lot out of, um, actually every day, one student is assigned the task of creating an activity. So we have, of course, a reading discussion, but I have the students create, and only in the last two years, their own activities, and it's been remarkably productive. I mean, some truly um, things that I could never have come up with myself. And it would, it's too many to elaborate upon. Every student has a, their own approach. Um, um, one of them did come up with a derive, which I know you do as a technique in your class. Right. Um, but your, your surrealist derive, and maybe we should define that, I'll let you talk about it, is, is more extended, right? Well, with my, so, so the derive is, is by name situationist, of course, but I, I've sort of taken it from the um, Paysanne de Paris perspective. So I, I, I take it more of the wandering idea and looking for the marvelous in the everyday. And so I have the students go out and um, it's usually over the course of like a break or something because we live in a quite a rural town. And although you can find uh, examples of the marvelous in rural towns, as Guy Debord said, it's, it's much easier to find them in urban settings. Right. And so um, so often if they're going traveling or something like that, they can go out with their with their cell phones and uh, they take about uh, 20 photographs of just things that they're attracted to. And I think that this might get into also the uh, the question of what I hope students get out of the course. Because when I tell them, you know, what are they supposed to take pictures of? You know, they're, they're not likely to find really, I mean, they, they might find strange juxtapositions out there in the world or, uh, you know, strange signs or uh, mannequins or certain tropes that are sort of traditional in, in some surrealist photography. But um, what I really push them to do is look for things that just strike them for whatever reason. And, and it may be which is a subconscious reason, but just something that they find strange or attractive or interesting with the idea that this is somehow potentially revealing something about themselves that they chose to take a photograph of this thing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, when I think about you know what I want the surreal, the, uh, the students to do in, in the surrealism class, you know I, I don't expect them to become surrealists, and I, and I and I try to tell them you know I'm not a surrealist, you know I'm I'm, uh, I'm not a surrealist. I, I know people who are surrealists, but um, you know that's a, that's really taking on something much different from what I do. And I, right. I don't I don't expect them to be surrealists, but I think that the real message, one of the messages for me about surrealism is is thinking about how we think about things and and not taking certain things for granted to really be critical of of, of how of our own biases of our own ways of thinking perhaps go into childhood from a freudian perspective and think about well, you know what is it about my psychology that made me look at this thing or made me think this about that and, and for me that's really part of automatism and part of surrealism is is, is that true functioning of thought and really trying to strip away some of those biases and some of those lenses. Um, and I think that many of the activities and assignments that I do in this realism class are geared towards that, which is sometimes quite counter-academic. Um, the, the paper that I've begun assigning, I, I used to assign just regular research papers, you know, as, as one does, you know, a topic about surrealism. And, and something that I've really enjoyed doing is having them bring together surrealism with something else. And that something else can, I'll help them try and find a connection, but it's sort of a uh, umbrella and sewing machine, a dissecting table thing where I want them to bring surrealism together with something that has nothing to do with surrealism, just to see what happens. And the paper, and the papers aren't necessarily, um, you know, they're not going to be published most likely or anything. They're, They're not necessarily the most academically solid pieces, but they're, some of them are really sort of beautiful and, and, Poetic in a way. I mean, I, I've had papers on um, surrealism in the Helvetica font, <laughs> which just blew my mind, and um, uh, surrealism and uh, the Branch Davidians. <laughs> wow, that's I, that's just so great, and so it must be wonderful for you also as a as a professor reading and um, this kind of application of the juxtaposition techniques of surrealism. I, I mean, I, I'm interested in the kind of exchange between professor and student, and I think if that's an ongoing kind of active um, uh, flow that can make it actually even better for the student if the professor is really engaging as well. So it's always surprising for you, probably. Oh, it is. No, it, the, the topics are interesting, and, and I sort of pride myself on being able to you know, connect surrealism to most things. And so, you know, they're, they're legitimate topics. You know, they, they have bibliographies. They actually have been researched, but they're kind of strange. So um, a student this last term did a paper on surrealism in the color green. <laughs> and... Uh, it, it was really kind of fascinating to kind of get into it and find I, I'd, I'd forgotten, frankly, that Breton was so fond of green and apparently. Was, That's uh, amazing. I kind of would like to read that one. <laughs> yeah, Breton apparently always wore green and he drank chartreuse and creme de menthe. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and apparently there was actually kind of there was a point. Um, oh, I think. Uh, oh, who was it? Um, one, one of the surrealists recalled that for a moment Breton insisted that all the surrealists only drink green things. <laughs> And so, you know, these are just topics that would never come up if it weren't for these sort of amazing connections with stuff. And so, um, so I, I think that there is that element of, of this of surprise that I like to bring out in surrealism. And then again, also just encouraging the students to to think about their dreams, to think about the way that they look at things, to think about the perspectives that they have. And and to me, that's really where surrealism and a a liberal arts education or a, uh, I mean, just a genuine education, come, how those things overlap, that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those, those are good exercises for anybody to do. And surrealism, in a way, 
that's quite different from other movements that we might talk about in art history really engages some of those questions in a really different way. It becomes much more philosophical than mm -hmm. uh, talking about, I mean, you, all, all of the movements have fascinating elements to them, but uh, you know, surrealism is just different from how they perceive it and what it can really teach us about ourselves. Yeah, because, because it, in itself, it's proposing a new way of looking at things or a constantly overturning set of ideas. So uh, even as a, a, a pedagogically, it presents itself as a unique um, opportunity, I think, to do things a different way. And it, it has given me a sense of freedom in that regard as well. Um, that's very refreshing. And, you know, I identify as a historian, but to, to have to really open it up and um, create more active roles for the students and diverse approaches in terms of understanding aesthetic concepts, not just by describing them, but, you know, by doing them or even, um, you know, bringing them up into the present day in terms of technology. Um, I think that is, is a really exciting thing about teaching surrealism is, is very approachable. But the only thing I could add to that, Elliot, um, that might be helpful for other people teaching surrealism at the undergraduate level would be that I, um, in paper topics or even in presentations or just on a minute if you know if you have only two days for surrealism i will often start by asking the students to either one tell me about a surrealist experience that they think they had such as an experience of deja vu or a waking dream which mm. is a very common concept so starting with what they already have experienced or something that they've seen in contemporary culture um maybe like the uh the film inception i think which is a popular action film from around 2010 by i think I think it was Christopher Nolan. Um, at, you know, that's obviously seven years ago. It's not, it's not as contemporary. Maybe, you know, the, the new Twin Peaks would be better, but um, talking about it in pop culture um, as well and, and then going in from there. And so often I encourage paper topics that connect uh, current pop culture or their particular interest to surrealism. So I have my music students will often pursue a music topic in surrealism, which is very challenging, by the way. Um, with, for the art students, it's easy, but my uh, philosophy students have done, um, can, you know, um, discussions of Wittgenstein, and, um, you know, or Hegel. And so I, I think in terms of their, their personal interests, their disciplinary experience and interests, their life experience, um, can also be a way to make to help them connect. And um, I guess one of my interests is the, the notion of historical flow or continuity of um, then and now. And and so that you know history not only teaches us what not to do again, you know, but that history um, is an active thing in our lives and can be can be used or applied actively, rem remembered and re-enlivened in certain ways. Um, so that you know this is kind of connection between then and now is key for me. Do you bring in, uh, you, you mentioned that you, you brought in a poet to, to speak for a day. Do, do you have the students read surrealist poetry? Yeah, that's a great question. The, the question of reading and surrealism is fascinating and it's different for each of the classes, um, obviously. I try at every level, even the most introductory class, to have the students read one surrealist theoretical text written by a surrealist. So. Um, a piece of the manifesto by Breton, for instance, Andre Breton from maybe 1924 would be classic for an introductory level class. So just a, a fragment of that, a portion of it. Mm -hmm. I try to have them read a, at least a, one piece of surrealist literature. So either a portion of, of a poem or a novella uh, or something else. And then of course, because I'm an art historian, there's always either a filmic or an image component. 
And it's not always a painting. I, I sometimes will go toward the film if I have to choose. We'll do Ocean and Lou by Dali and Boonwell from the late 20s. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, uh, scholarship, uh, obviously, are, you know, uh, literary and art historical scholarship is key too. Mm -hmm. I, I was wondering because I, I, I don't tend to have them read poetry. I have them read a lot of primary sources, uh, obviously the manifestos, but also different articles from Minotaur and um, Surrealism in the Service of the Revolution. I, I have them read a lot of, of primary source material. Um, well, we, which often we, are quite we, dense, but I don't really have them read poetry. And well, yet, you're right. Actually, I don't yeah. do much poetry either. Like maybe, maybe three poems. So yeah. that's a great point. It's just kind of interesting because I I I, I impress upon them that it, it, at its origin, surrealism is a literary movement, and yet I'm I know that I'm not bringing in perhaps as much poetry as I as I ought. So it's just something that's that really I'm reflecting point. on. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we, I think we, in my classes, we make more poetry than we hmm. probably read because I, I do the Kadava Exki as an, as a group automatic poem as well. So I'll, I'll have them free, you know, uh, and we'll try it depending on how much time I have. The students will write automatically, which is essentially free writing or, you know, free association is a more common term for automatism. And, you know, we talk about the differences and then we do, um, we do a passing experiments where, you know, usually I've got like some kind of a bell and I, I might play some Eric Satie on the computer, you know, something really mellow music, dark in the room. They all have a sheet of blank paper. I ask them to clear their minds and they uh, continually pass the paper. But there's a number of ways to do this. And um, the book of Dada and Surrealist Games that you mentioned is a, is a great introductory point. It's a small book you can buy on Amazon for people who want a number of um, game ideas. But yeah, we don't we don't read much poetry, and, and I, I just want to address really quick as well. I think it's it's the very important with surrealism teaching pedagogy right now is the need to uh, not have it be just European focused. I just want to make sure we mm. um, we just we talk about that as well in terms of what we're what we're forgetting in terms of reading and analyzing in terms of texts and images, but also um, uh, different. And I know you do this very well, Elliot, in your classes in your class. Um, is um, thinking about surrealism in other places besides uh, France or, um, you know, uh, so, um, you know, in my, my classes, we, we go to the Caribbean and we go um, briefly to Asia. And um, I would really like to expand to South America and uh, Mexico typically comes up in my classes. But I think, um, for, you know, with Dada, you, you have to do this because there's a sort of successive uh, national appearance of Dada um, but in surrealism, it's it takes it's just a kind of a broadly and over a long period of time spreading phenomenon over the course of the 20th century. So that's really important to me, too, um, in terms of what's left out. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, actually, because um, right, I mean, there it is. There are so many global surrealisms now. And there, there's uh, an issue of the, the journals on Egyptian surrealism. There's obviously South American, Mexico. I mean, almost every kind of Australian surrealism. I, I'm astonished African. at just about African. Really, surrealism has spread so much. I mean, to the same extent as something like Cubism. I mean, some of these movements that you just feel like are so influential. I mean, surrealism really is up there as one of the most international movements that one could talk about. And so, even to just have a class on surrealism, I mean, really, you're talking about a class on 20th century art. You really are. I mean, then this is a question for surrealism scholars. I think, you know, you know, is it just should it just be surrealism studies? Because it, it is it's really overwhelming to try to teach because it is an interdisciplinary movement that's, you know, is by many claims still going on. 
and is truly global. Um, you know, obviously with limitations, but global compared to let's say Italian futurism, it's it's much more global. Um, and so it uh, this is the, the again the beauty and the challenge of teaching surrealism well. It's theoretical depth, it's political radicalism, and it's breadth in so many different ways. Um, but I think that's also its asset, and 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 why you know why it is worth having entire seminars of different kind. In my opinion, I would just teach all surrealism all the time. But obviously, <laughs> I'm I'm um, I'm biased. But it is that it really is. Um, I believe that most art historians or literary scholars could could bring to it or focus on the aspect that they feel most comfortable with or that they're most interested in learning about because of the breadth of um, of material within surrealism. So I think if a, a scholar is someone who's focusing, you know, an art historian is teaching at a small of arts college, they have expertise in the 1970s, well, let's go to Chicago and talk about black power uh, and our anarchism and Chicago surrealism. I mean, that's a little more specialized, but um, by now there's so much accessible scholarship out there on surrealism, even for for undergraduate level that I think that might be possible uh, to take to push the teaching into new ways, even on a very limited time basis for scholar for, for professors. And into different art departments as well, because we're talking about it from the perspective of art history, which is where we're coming from and for CAA. But of course, you know, a lot of surrealism scholarship is coming out of French departments and comparative literature. Um, it, it could be applied with anthropology. I mean, it, it, surrealism is really just so many different disciplines can look at surrealism from their own perspectives and bring something out of it. So uh, to look at it from art history is, is, is really a sliver. It, it tends to be surrealists who do art, not necessarily surrealist art. And I think that that's something, again, that is good to think about, not just from art history, but from a lot of different disciplines. Yeah, and um, I'll just mention as well for listeners that um, you may know that the word surrealism was the 2016 word of the year from <laughs> the dictionary Merriam-Webster. Um, and there's an interesting article that Merriam-Webster published about that word. And and it, and it truly is a derive in itself from uh, how the surrealists would have used the term and is, is for some scholars has been very problematic. There's been some wonderful responses published from surrealism scholars and surrealists themselves about it. But um, it's very, very topical right now the one of the reasons that surrealism was the word of the year in 2016 um, was related to the American presidential election. So I think that's another way in for discussion for folks who are teaching perhaps surrealism for the first time or just not as comfortable with teaching it, um, using the contemporary contemporaneity of the word of just the word. That's so surreal. Um, why do we say that instead? That's so futurist, or that's so Dada. Nobody says that. <laughs> and what do we mean by that? Um, and how is you know what surrealists were doing in 1925 or 1945 different from um, you know what David Lynch is doing? To, David Lynch is doing today, et cetera, et cetera. But but on a, on a more political level as well. Well, that's a wonderful stopping point. This has been such <laughs> an interesting conversation. I'm not a surrealist scholar. <laughs> so <laughs> so yes. thank you both. Yeah.